Welcome back to another episode of Digital Fluency, the only podcast where you are guaranteed to get smarter about the digital world or your money back. Digital Fluency is a special podcast series from the good folks at the Studio for Teaching and Learning Innovation. I'm your awesomely antagonistic and always charming host, Adam Barger, and I am the instructor for the William & Mary course entitled Digital Fluency, Footprints and Philosophies, which provides the content for this series. Every week, we review what happened in class and discuss ways to apply these ideas to our lives. I am joined, as always, by student producer extraordinaire, Jacob Hall. You're back for more, Jacob. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I feel... I feel inquisitive. I feel curious about what we might be talking about Ooh, that's today. That's good. Yeah. You, you, you got to have a curious mind in college. Yeah. So you're, that's half the battle, I think. You're open to new ideas. I have so many questions. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't have all the answers. Um, I like to pretend I do, but I thought it'd be important to bring in some other voices, specifically an actual student from the course. Oh, wow. So you're a student here at William & Mary, Jacob, but you're not in my course. <laughs> no, I've, I've never like right. read your syllabus. Right. It's <laughs> fascinating reading. Um, and so you've been kind of reacting to our conversation, but I really, as we wind down the semester, I really wanted to bring in student perspective. Uh, from someone who's in the class. So that's what we have today. Are you excited? I'm so excited. Are I want to know what it's like to to have Professor Barger as, yeah. as your professor. It's delightful. It's, a, it's just fantastic. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I, I can't say that stuff. Um, so uh, we do have someone else in our studio today. Emmanuel, thanks for coming. Um, take a second, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do here at William & Mary, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. All righty. Well, um as you said, my name is Emmanuel, and I'm one of your students this semester. I am a freshman. I'm planning to major in government, and uh, you've been amazing so far. I've really enjoyed your class. Excellent. So I'll pay you for that compliment later. <laughs> um, so uh, let's get to know you a bit. Uh, your, your favorite color? Uh, red. Red. Yeah. Your, your, your favorite place to eat on campus? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, it was Chick-fil-A until they closed. Um, oh, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. yeah, that's a bummer. What was your What was your question? I want to know your favorite breakfast food. I love pancakes. Oh, I love good answer. Yes. Okay, we can be friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, your favorite class this semester? Digital fluency. Oh man, oh, I just yes. I can't, I can't was, believe it. <laughs> so surprised. That was an easy one. Yeah. yeah. It was. <laughs> so so digital fluency is a call one hundred and fifty course, which means at William and Mary, that's one of your uh, kind of core courses as you start your uh, education here. And it has a, an emphasis on writing. So instead of, you know, quizzes and tests, you do, you know, a fair amount of writing. And you're writing about the digital world. So it's kind of like this weird um, kind of combination where you're doing a very traditional assessment, which is writing, about something that is very digital and ephemeral and changing all the time, which is digital. So how's that been for you? Honestly, I've enjoyed it a lot. I prefer writing assignments to testing um, just because I've been surrounded by testing environments my entire life. It's a mm-hmm. bit different. I get to express myself a bit better, and I feel like I learned the material more. Hmm. And in terms of writing about digital, it's not too different for at least someone that's been around it so long because it's just writing about what I'm surrounded by, I guess. Yep. Do you think of yourself as a fairly kind of digitally minded or aware or proficient person? Yes. Um, I've always, since I was a kid, been surrounded by it. I've enjoyed it. I've built my own computer. I've always played games. Um, so I've definitely been within the circle. 
Nice. And, and so, Jacob, we do um, intake interviews at the beginning of the semester where I meet with every student, which is easy to do because mm-hmm. we only have 15, 16 people mm-hmm. typically in these classes. And I always ask them, you know, how did you find yourself in this class? Uh, is it a specific interest of yours or it, did it just match up with your schedule? And that's OK, too. You know, like yeah. if it just was the only 150 to fit your schedule, that's fine. That's sometimes how you find the like coolest classes outside of your comfort zone and, and right. expand your your sort of interests here. Right, at which is which is one of our goals here at William and Mary. Right, you want mm-hmm. it's a liberal arts approach, so even with Emmanuel's um, interest in government and, and international relations or whatever else is there, um, hopefully this is complementary. The idea is it's interdisciplinary. Absolutely, you know, that's that's kind of the goal, and so. Um, you know, it's good that you have interest in digital, but certainly not required. Uh, and I think that's been the case for, for, for most students in the class is, you know, because they're a 21st century student, they kind of have a natural, you know, inclination to at least understand the digital world. At least they think they do mm-hmm. until yeah. we start getting into it. So, Emmanuel, as you think back over the last 10, 11 weeks, were there particular topics or ideas that were that stand out to you of like, hey, this was either influenced my thinking, or this is a new idea, or this is a terrible idea. Like, what what jumps out at you? Um, okay, so the first thing that we covered in the class was intellectual humility, and that was definitely something that stood out to me because um, just the idea of uh, I how do we put it in class necessarily like to think. The possibility that you could be wrong? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, to agree with that or to to see it because often, as we put it in class, our society promotes more so being right than thinking of being wrong potentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a very powerful idea. Um, yeah, and I think we, we had uh, our expert on the show, right? Yeah, we had Johan on the show. Yes. And so, Jacob, you, you remember um, that concept, but... the we linked that idea to the digital world, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because so the digital world is oftentimes creating these media bubbles or these echo chambers where you're, you're going after what interests you and you start seeing and hearing things that mostly agree with your world. And so you're less challenged. And then when you do see someone who has a different perspective, you say, whoa, wait a second, how can they, you know, have that perspective? They're wrong. They have mm. to be wrong. Yeah. Whereas intellectual humility says, well, there's a healthy amount of skepticism that everyone should have. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be servile. You don't want to be like, you know, a doormat that people walk over, but you also don't want to be arrogant. You know, so there's this, I think Johan called it the golden mean of intellectual pursuits and being appropriately humble. So that's, that's interesting that that sticks out from you. Cause that was like way back at the start, I think. Yeah. I'm a, that's a framework, a framework that I will be writing my paper around for you. The 10 page one. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm sure you already have done and edited and ready to go. <laughs> oh, of yeah. course, yeah. Of course. No, I'm glad that you're doing a deeper dive on that. So was was there anything uh, over the last 10 or 11 weeks that kind of rubbed you the wrong way of just saying, hmm, I'm not sure how that's, if that's true, or I'm not sure how helpful that will be for me? I'm not sure if it necessarily rubbed me the wrong way, um, but recently when we look at digital minimalism, I, mm-hmm. I definitely see why it is important, but I also am of the perspective that having more can still be a good thing. You know, focusing uh, and centering your attention to get better at specific traits and skills is important, Mm -hmm. but with the vast amount of ideas out there, 
I think that it could be potentially harmful if you only focus on smaller things at times. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the, the flip side of minimalism, and I think we talked about this last week, Jacob, was, you know, you, you happily miss out on things. Right. So it's not like you, you wish you were doing other aspects, but you happily put them away. And I think, Emmanuel, what you're saying is possibly that could come back to get you yeah, if you're not definitely. at least, you know, proficient. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, so this week we did a, a look at curiosity, not necessarily digital curiosity, you know, like sometimes I feel like we just kind of put the word digital in front of something and <laughs> it's a new idea, but it is important to make those distinctions of how, uh, aspects of the analog world, you know, transfer over. And, uh, so we looked at curiosity, uh, as an important skill. Mm. So not just like the trait of curiosity or the description of curiosity, but really a skill that you have to develop. You have to work on it. And it's one of the foundational skills of a digitally fluent person. Uh, And we're going to look at several of these skills. We're going to look at communication. We're going to look at creativity. We're going to look at innovation. But curiosity is the first one. And Mm. so we looked at that this week. Uh, So, Jacob, you said you were curious, so I'm, I'm going to uh, throw oh. some of these ideas at you and, and see if they stick. Hit me with them. All right, so the first thing we looked at was a, a, a video. I think it was a TED Talk, right, yes. Emmanuel? Yes. And, and the woman in the TED Talk was research, a researcher, and she started with this idea of um, a vacuum tube and how hundreds of years ago someone decided to put you know, a current through a vacuum tube and that was the start of understanding electrons. And then she connected the dots all the way to, um, you know, x-rays and, um, you know, different therapies. And what are some, what are some other things she connected to? Do you remember, um, Emmanuel? The TVs having the, um, I don't remember what they're called, but the rays behind them, the old TVs. Yep, the cathode ray yep. TV. Yep. And she just, she kind of traced this idea all through like 200 years of history Really, and it started with someone who was just curious about, like, huh, I have this vacuum tube. Mm-hmm. What happens if I pass some electricity through it? And her whole point was curiosity-driven research is crucial to our advancement, you know, as a society. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about trying to prove something or um, discover a new thing, a, n- a new technique or a new idea but it's really about being curious and being willing to kind of just try things. Yeah. And that was one of her examples. I love that idea. And I think that it gets to a lot of like what we talk about in academia generally, where like uh, say, say you want to research something in your, 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 you know, the field that you're passionate about. And that might mean taking some risks when it comes to figuring out, what you want to research or what you want to delve into and from a digital perspective, like what you want to try out or learn more things about. And those may or may not pan out for you, if that makes sense. Like it it might not be what you end up using for your, I don't know, some sort of end goal or product, or you, you might not actually discover, you know, some amazing new fact about electrons, but the fact that you are pushing things forward in your field of interest and you're, you're looking for new ways to innovate or, or just, just to learn about the world around you. I think that's really valuable. Mm-hmm. And, and I think um, that kind of gives a nod to our working def- definition of curiosity, which we're, like most good academics, we stole from someone outright. <laughs> and uh, the person's name is, is Ian Leslie. And Ian Leslie says that curiosity 
is a combination of intelligence, persistence, and hunger. Mm. Intelligence, persistence, and hunger. And so maybe later on when we get to the takeaway section, I can kind of talk about how those come over to the digital side. But um, how did that strike you, Emmanuel? Does, does that make sense to you, intelligence, persistence, and hunger? Yes. And I am, I've always been naturally uh, curious, and I've always valued that about myself. And just seeing it in general, I, uh, I, I'm glad we started with curiosity because I truly believe it's one of the most important skills someone could have. It, it does yeah. really progress society forward. I love that. And I want to know, like, if you have tangible ideas of how your curiosity pans out from a digital perspective. Well, I guess the most clear cut and obvious one was I was curious about computers. And then I taught myself um, by searching out on the web um, or friends or people who have done it before on how to build my own one. Um, mm -hmm. And then from there, I wouldn't say I'm big on software, but I did take a look at certain programs or certain apps. And then now I can pass that on to other people or show them mm, and yeah. although it's not life bending or changing it was very interesting to learn about it and i feel like i've opened my mind to things that otherwise i wouldn't have absolutely yeah, yeah one of the tips in the article which was not by ian leslie i want to make sure i give good credit here that uh, is from jonathan y and maybe it's way sorry jonathan don't know which one w a i anyway um he, he was talking about ways to be curious again, not in the necessarily in the digital world, just like as, as a, you know, as a person, as a human, mm. uh, and certainly as a learner, how to be curious. And I think what most closely resembles Emmanuel's idea here is polish your mind with a mind of others. And I love the word polish because it's, it's not that you go out and find things that are interesting to you, although that could be important. It's finding those things that butt up against your assumptions and, uh, like sandpaper polishes, you know, a rock or something like that. Um, you have to have that abrasion. You have to have that, uh, that friction, you mm. know, to, to really make your mind keen on something else. And so the digital world exposes you to the mind of others on a grand scale. Oh, yes. And I think that, like, when you are comparing your own sense of truth and reality to those that are presented to you online or for just from other people generally. That's, that's how you not only learn more about the world, but also come to new ideas that maybe haven't been thought of before. Yeah, exactly. And so, so that leads into another idea in the article. And I don't know if you recall this, Emmanuel, and it's okay if you don't, not a pop quiz, but do you recall the piece about going to a bookstore? Yes. Okay, so, so the basic idea in the article was... Um, go to an actual bookstore, get away from the Googles, you know, and the Bings of the world and go to a bookstore and just browse around. What, what did you think of that? I thought it was very interesting. It's, it's very, um, it sounds very traditional, but I think it's a, it's something that we should keep around because going in and kind of like a blank slate or an open mind and just letting your interest peak you by just what you see is, is a very efficient way, I would say, to find new topics and yeah. read about them. It's the serendipity effect, right? Like there's nothing serendipitous about Google if you think about it. Sure. So in the article it says, in the era of Google searches, we have no problem finding the exact answer to our question, mm. but we may be less likely to serendipitously encounter information that is not specific to our question. And I thought that's so like, I never thought about it that way. Sometimes you think of the Google as, a, as the opposite. 
of like you put in something, you get all these hits and hey, it could be anything. Not really. Right. Because we learned about like algorithms and how they use data and things like that. So you're not going to have by chance interactions. I love that idea so much. And the word that comes to mind when you were describing that is curation. Like a bookstore would have much different curation when it comes to what they have on their shelves or what might be featured at the front of the store or something like that. And the the way that you interact with it will just be so different just because of its own structure and the way that it's curated. Yeah, and so like I'm I'm guilty of relying on Google. Mm. You know, I'll pull my phone out anytime and be like, oh, let me, let me figure out the answer to this, you know. And one of the other ideas was, you know, um, to, to, to seek out facts and information, but not to rely on Google, to have an active curiosity outside of Google. And I think that is a surprisingly difficult skill, like in terms of curiosity. Mm. And I even did this experiment in class. Um, I, I might have already told the story, but basically I asked students, say, if you need to know something, what do you do? And, and every single one of them said, Google it. Yeah. Every single one. And I think that was the lesson on learning networks. I said, no, actually, the first thing you do is you find a device. You find a pathway right. to that network. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the idea is there because it is efficient, right? Right. And so the idea that um, there's a difference between learning facts for yourself versus Googling them. Mm. So, Emmanuel, do you buy that as a, as a student, as a freshman? Um, uh, do, you, do you buy this kind of line of thinking? Yes. Yes, um, I very much do, uh, and I'm just like you, and I probably most people at this school, and just pulling out my phone and looking things up if I am ever needing the information. Like that's it's just second nature. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, yeah. and again, it's that access to information versus the experience of of seeking it out, right. uh, or or of living in such a way that you're uh, that you're curious about things. But obviously, we we have to filter that a little bit. Like we can't be curious about everything all the time Mm -hmm. you know so there's got to be this balance between i'm relying on the digital world for efficiency but i don't want it to kind of stomp on my kind of creative tendencies absolutely um let's see if there's one more on here and again i'm pulling most of this from the article by jonathan way um oh here's an interesting one uh so the other aspect of curiosity that we talked a little bit about is don't just focus on puzzles, but on mysteries. The idea of not everything is something that has to be solved. There's a grayness, there's a mystery to, to the world um, that, you know, it's less neat, it's murky, and that's okay. That's something you got to push back against because the internet has the answer for everything. Yes. Yes, I love that. And I think that that's, that's also reminding me of this idea that everyone's going to have a different perspective on a topic and there might be an active discussion as to what is right or wrong or what the, the truth might be about something. And, you know, if you Google it and then you just read the intro to that Wikipedia article, you might get a, a, you might get a sense for that, but you, you might also miss some of the really important intricacies there. And if you are truly curious about the topic, you're going to want to delve down further. Maybe you're going to have to find a, a book about the topic and, and see what someone's perspective might, might be in, in a more like detailed sense. Right. Yeah. And that takes, you have to be willing to, to do that, to accept the fact that the surface answer is not maybe what you. This thought. is, the, I love how this topic is, is, is going right into the, the research things that we talked about with 
um, on the fake news episode, and we're talking mm-hmm. about the the skills that you develop as a part of a digital like minimalist lifestyle, and it, it's just all coming together, and it makes sense when you're curious about the world and you're trying to learn more about uh, the the digital world as well as just the, the physical one around you. Knowing how to to advance forward in your curiosity, like really gets at the essence of all of these conversations. Yeah, and I, and I think that's why when I first started looking at this class, I thought about starting with skills. Mm. Like, let's look at all the different skills you might need to be a fluent person in the in a digital world. And I ended up flipping it and saying, no, we need to cover. And and I borrowed this. I borrowed slash stole this model as well from a researcher um, out of New Zealand. But you know, start with foundational kind of knowledge, mm-hmm. like just basic understanding of the web, how it's changed. And then you go to kind of like these concepts like web 2.0 versus 3.0 and having agency and, and that kind of thing. Right. And then after you have those conceptual understandings, then you go to, to skill building where you make it much more practical. Mm-hmm. So it remains to be seen if that's a good idea, Emmanuel or not, but <laughs> that that's why we're, we did it that way is I wanted to kind of build towards foundational to a little bit more kind of mercurial kind of fuzzy things, but they are skills you can work on. I think it's flowed perfectly. I'm, I mean, everything feels like it's building on the next. So I can't imagine the class having gone the other way around. Right. Like if we had started with the top on what we're doing now on skills and then we end it with foundational things, it, it just it seems backwards to me. But maybe it's just because this is all I know. This is the class yeah. I've taken. Well, no, that's the right answer. That's absolutely the right answer. There's no grayness in that one. Is that, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's hard to get, pick up on sarcasm with masks on, people. <laughs> so so uh, one more question for you, Emmanuel, and then we'll move into our uh, world-famous takeaways section. And that is, you know, if, as you wrap up this class and you go on about your academic pursuits um, and, you know, maybe you're interacting with family or friends and, and you're thinking about or doing something in the digital world, what might be something that you could see sharing with someone else who's not going to take the class? Yeah, a little nugget or two, we could say, actually, hey, don't do it that way. Do it this way. Or, or don't think about that this way, you know, mom or grandpa or whoever you're talking to. Think about it this way. Is there a, a nugget that you think would translate well to the, to the non-class attenders? Yes, but I believe it's a nugget that will, some people will agree with and some won't. It's the idea of agency um, that we've discussed because mm-hmm. not a lot of people want to give up their phones or give up how much control they're giving to those companies um, and seeing that that documentary we saw mm-hmm. and all the discussions in class, I've certainly changed my perspective and I'm more aware of what I'm doing on my phone, but I don't think it's something that like if I were to tell my sister I, or whoever, right, that's closer to my age, I don't feel that many people would like that advice. Right. Because that, that skill or that muscle has atrophied. And yes. that's, and, and we, yes. we've been through this a couple of times, agency versus atrophy, where you give your attention has to be part of your control. You have to be in the driver's seat. So I think that's a great nugget to take with you. And, and me as well, you know, I, I am much more aware of my phone reflex, you know, right? Just take it out and, you know, just for no reason at all. Like I'm walking down the stairs. Oh, I got to take my phone out. Like, where did that come from? Well, I've lost my agency mm. to, to control my attention in that way. Yeah. You know, my, my sister was visiting a uh, huge digital fluency fan, by the way. Jacob, she's a oh, huge fan. Excellent. So she was visiting, and um, we were all on the couch. My, you know, my sister and my mom were on one couch. I was on the other couch, and my wife was on the couch with me. 
and we're all, all on our devices. And I was like, oh, we're all fubbing. And they're like, what's fubbing? I'm like, oh, let me tell you. So that, you know, th- those kind of things, just being aware is, is half the battle. So I do have some takeaways for, for you all uh, on curiosity. So Emmanuel, do you want to set us up for, for the takeaway uh, section? Sure. <laughs> All you got to do is say time for the takeaways. And with however much enthusiasm you have is yeah. fine. All right. Time for the takeaways. Ah, see, that was good. That was perfect. The guy's a natural. <laughs> Roll the takeaways. Yeah. <laughs> so the takeaways around being curious or having curiosity fluency, you know, a skill that you work on. We're going to translate these from... Uh, Ian Leslie's definition. So again, they were intelligence, persistence, and the hunger for novelty. Those are the three things. So if we were to kind of push these through the digital fluency filter, what comes out the other side? Well, takeaway number one, in terms of uh, intelligence as an aspect of curiosity, learn to leverage your networks. Now we talked a lot about network learning. So tip number one, or takeaway number one, learn to leverage your networks. Your intelligence or your uh, overall kind of understanding is based on how you network your information. Mm. And so be intentional about that and leverage your networks in a way that's going to serve you, you know, not that you are uh, serving them, right? So you, you own your, your networks. Adam, can I put you on the spot and have you provide an example of how you could leverage your network? Absolutely. Uh, so I'll give an example from, from my own life. So um, if I need to work on a skill, uh, uh, actually uh, an idea. So there's this concept called uh, digital wellness. And there we go again, putting the digital in front of something. But <laughs> the idea is if, how do you live a well, and how do you live a balanced life? You know, uh, mindfulness, wellness, those things are important in a digital world. Well, that's kind of a newer area for me. And I knew that I wasn't proficient enough in that. And I put it in the syllabus, like we're going to be doing this <laughs> in class but I needed to leverage a network that I was not in. Mm. So I was able to, uh, through some Googling and through some other recommendations on LinkedIn and things like that, found an organization called the Digital Wellness Initiative or Digital Wellness Institute. I can't remember which one. And found a class on uh, digital wellness, took that class. And so instead of just mindlessly Googling, you know, digital wellness, I found a network that was established was reputable, and I inserted myself into that. Love it. All right, so related to curiosity, but specifically trying to harness that intelligence. All right, so the second takeaway is, on, is about persistence. And this is uh, to be uh, curious in the digital world, you have to keep efficiency and purpose in mind. Mm. All right, keep efficiency and purpose in mind. So again, curiosity is not just about being open to anything. It's about... Uh, having kind of a curated, you mentioned this, Jacob, a curated or a purposeful approach uh, to how you spend your time. Mm. And be persistent in that. Don't let it go. Have a goal and kind of go after it. Absolutely. And the final one is maybe the most interesting. So Leslie says it's hunger for novelty. A curious person has to want to experience new and novel things. Well, in the digital world, what does that look like? This is about having intentional interests and activity outside your media bubble. Mm. All right? This is a balance to persistence. So, yes, you want a goal and have a goal for the digital world, how you use it. You want to be persistent and focusing on that. 
being a centralist, being a minimalist, you know, whatever term you want. At the same time, you have to have, maintain this hunger for newer novel things. And so going beyond your media bubble keeps you humble, right? That takes work. Have, have either of you as students, as 21st century uh, digital students, ever tried to really get beyond your media bubble and, and uh, be hunger for, uh, hungry for novelty? Yes, I have. I, um, you know, my discipline would be government in terms of what I'm interested in to do here. And besides the call classes, which encourage you to go b- above and beyond, I have attempted at least to look at other courses. I want to dive more into philosophy because I enjoy critical thinking and mm-hmm. I think it opens a lot of doors to vast, you know, topics. And I've also taken a look at potentially psychology because I want to see just how people interact with each other in general or sociology even. Um, And I think that that's a good way of broadening my personal bubble because I don't want to stick within the government circle only, if that makes, you know. And those those areas could be complementary. They could actually make you stronger in your focus area. So that's where I think the the balance pays off, you know? Yeah. And I know you're a pretty curious person, um, Jacob. So do you, how, do you, how do you get beyond your media bubble? <laughs> I have my curious moments. I think that I, I like do a, a fairly good job of reading news that might not align perfectly with my own like political stance or the things that I'm generally interested in. It's something I am definitely working on doing better and more intentionally, but um, that that's probably the, the best way I could describe like getting out of my my media bubble and, and mm-hmm. trying to sort of appreciate other perspectives and and maybe maybe try to even understand like why people are coming at it with a different perspective you know my background versus someone else's background might inform why we're talking about something in such vastly different ways i actually would agree a lot with you there and as one piece of advice i've been given while pursuing government is to do the same thing and i take it upon myself to also look at multiple sources multiple perspectives and do my best to empathize or or understand where they're coming from mm-hmm. to the best of my ability because uh, at least in my my humble perspective being able to understand people makes it way easier to communicate and in an in increasingly polarized environment at least politically mm-hmm. I believe something we don't do enough is listen to each other oh I, mm. I agree so much and I yeah. think that this is Hopefully one of the skills that William and Mary is really like instilling in us. I, I think it's something we do pretty well here, like as a community, even if, uh, you know, we all are like, you know, kids in our, you know, the, the 18 to 22 age bracket for the most part. And we maybe have like similar backgrounds to some degree. I think, I think we do a good job of like branching out when it comes to what classes we're taking and what topics we're discussing. And also, having intentional conversations about how we are talking to other people and, and learning about where they might be from or how we could work with them. Yeah. Cause I, I think this is a surprisingly analog skill for a digital world, which is seeing <laughs> people as humans. Yes. And I have a real hard time getting out of my media bubble cause I have lots of very specific interests that I'm very passionate about. Mm. And when I hear things that are so far outside of that bubble, it frustrates me. Yes. And so I, but I'm really trying to work on that because if you see people as humans Wow, there's a big group of hu- my of my fellow humans that have this perspective that's different. There's got to be something there. Yes, and and maybe you don't agree with all the adjectives around it, but they're the essence of it. Is there's got to be something to it? And so if you go into that as like, hey, even in the digital world, these are real human beings that I'm interacting with. Um, you know that that can also help keep you humble. 
Oh, and that, that just like, I could get on my soapbox about that. I think that being human and expressing your identity using digital tools online or however works best for you is like the biggest skill, in my opinion, when it comes to, to harnessing the, the digital world for yourself. And then recognizing when other people are expressing their, their humanness, that identity online, and recognizing that for, for the value that it is, that's, that's everything. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. And so maybe this uh, connection to curiosity uh, is something that others can now be more curious about. You'll <laughs> learn for themselves. I'm so, curious about one more thing, Emmanuel. Did you find the Easter egg in the video? No. What are you? Oh, well, I'm not going to tell you what it is. All right, I'll be going back to it <laughs> then. Yeah, but there was, a, there was an Easter egg. Oh, no. And uh, so far, as I can tell, no one has found it yet. Well, I hope I'm the first. Maybe I will we'll be going first. back. Emmanuel's going to be watching that video all night. Yeah, yeah I will. Nine <laughs> minutes of, of educational bliss. Oh, yes. I'm so glad you made time for us, Emmanuel. Thanks for coming. Um, yes. You know, uh, it's no easy task sometimes to put this in your schedule and have a conversation like this with uh, your professor, but you did it, and, and it was so great to have you, um, and hopefully uh, we'll get a chance to talk to you again soon. Oh, I would love to. I really enjoyed this. I really did. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right, Jacob, we'll see you next time. Absolutely.